the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast, where we speak to leaders, experts, innovators and game changers, looking at ways that we can help you improve your driving school business and potentially even become an even more awesome driving instructor. As always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook, and I'm delighted to be here and even more delighted that you have chosen to listen because today we've got a very special episode for you. I am joined by the Assistant Chief Driving Examiner from the DBSA, Graham O'Brien, and he joins us to talk about mock tests and waiting times and even the relationship between driving instructors and the DVSA. I did ask him some questions that, uh, can I put this, were put from a driving instructor's perspective rather than a DVSA perspective, and I was very impressed with the way he answered them. I thought it was very honest, so I'm sure you will enjoy this episode. Now, yes, I am currently between seasons, but when the opportunity arose, I felt that it would have been rude to turn down the opportunity to have a chat with Graham and I could bring this out for you as a bonus episode between seasons. But that doesn't mean that I'm away permanently. I am still producing content for my premium members. So throughout July, I have released three episodes with San Harper and Robin Bates and Bob Morton. They're the regular shows that are going to be available for premium members over the next few months, as well as the regular stuff that I put out and as well as the back catalogue of episodes over there. There's about 50 exclusive premium episodes over there. So for that £10 a month, you get all that awesome content, as well as the discounts for things like Bob Mort's Client Set of Learning, Go Roadie, the ADI PDI Doctor, and San Harper's Mindfulness Courses. So head over to instructorpodcast.com to check that out. But for now, let's dive into this episode with Graham O'Brien from the DVSA. And uh, I hope you get as much from it as I did. And today on the Instructor Podcast, I am joined by the ever-delightful and uh, now becoming podcast regular, I believe, Graham O'Brien. How are we doing, Graham? Yeah, very nice to be here, Terry. Nice to meet you. Uh, I can actually see you. I don't know if our listeners will be able to see us, but it's probably not a bad thing. Um <laughs> On my account, uh, but no, yeah, nice to meet you. No, I think the, the fewer people that see my face, the better, I think. Uh, but no, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I really uh, appreciate it. Just for people that don't know, I'll just start off by saying you are the DVSA Assistant Chief Driving Examiner. So I'm very pleased you've joined us today. And today we're going to be talking about primarily the relationship between ADIs and the DVSA, but we'll also likely hit around things like mock tests and the waiting list and your new uh, are you ready campaign that you've launched but before we dive into that i like to ask all my guests that appear on the instructor podcast which category they fall into because i talk to leaders experts innovators and game changers so which category or categories do you think you fall into well, that's that's a difficult question, Terry, isn't it? And it's very it's very hard to be to be modest in choosing one of those. <laughs> um, I guess I suppose if I had to to pick one, I'd I'd, I'd like to think expert, um, but of course I, I'm aware that you know anybody who considers themselves an expert is probably not because nobody knows everything. But um, judging on my experience, hopefully that that allows me to probably choose that one. Um, if I could choose a couple, I'd probably choose a little bit of, 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 of both, you know, 
judged on based on some of the things I've done um, in the career. But yeah, if I had to pin it down to one hand, uh, even though it goes against the grain a little bit, I, I, think, I think I'd choose expert, Terry. I think um, when I eventually finish uh, recording these podcasts, I'm going to clip the answer to all those questions and send them to a psychologist because the answer <laughs> to that question is fascinating. Uh, for me, an expert, the way I interpret that is just someone that knows more than someone else. I always think of it like that. So you will be an expert around a lot of the, the DVSA matters and sort of the technical side of it a lot more than me. Uh, so yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Um, but as I mentioned, you are the uh, Assistant Chief Driving Examiner at the DVSA. So do you want to start off just by telling us a little bit about your background and a little bit about what the role entails? Yeah, so, so, so the background and... and- I'll keep this fairly brief because I appreciate that some people might have heard it before, but uh, I've been with the agency about 17 years now and I started as an examiner. Um, I was previously a driving instructor for five years, probably in some of the areas that you, you teach in Terry. So, but South Yorkshire predominantly, I was I was an ADI for five years. And at the time, I used to see the, the, the notice on the waiting room, it, become an examiner. I always used to think, yeah, I'll maybe give that a go. And eventually plucked up the courage and, and went for it and uh, became an examiner at a test centre called Heckman White, which I'd never heard of previously, but worked there. absolutely loved it. Then uh, eventually got the opportunity to become a staff instructor, which means you, you train the new examiners. Um, that was, was done from a, a location in Bedfordshire, Cardington, which I'm sure some people will have heard of. So I was fortunate enough to work there for a, a good five, six years as a staff instructor, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Then about five years ago, in fact, longer than that, about eight years ago, I got the opportunity to move into policy um, and, and had the opportunity to influence the driving test when the test changed back in 2017. I was the, the technical lead on that. And then more recently, the iPad. So I was, uh, again, the technical lead on on introducing the iPad. But just what the day job in, uh, includes, it's, it's pretty much anything and everything to do with the car driving test. So we've got four assistant chiefs. My, I look after car. We've obviously got bike. We've got vocational and ADI. So I like to think I'm the, I'm the busiest if you think about the, the ratios, but I'm sure my colleagues would argue. Uh, but yeah, I, I look after the car driving test. So pretty much everything and anything to do with a car driving test, really. Uh, yeah. I do just want to pick your brain a minute before we dive into the, the stuff we're going to talk about, about the, the transition from ADI to examiner. Because that does tie into what we're going to talk about, because I know you've been you know, looking for ADIs to become examiners. So... What was that transition like? Because I will be brutally honest here, it would scare the bejesus out of me being sat next to someone in a car as an examiner, especially someone that's turned up in their own car when you're dual control, when your goal is almost not to intervene. Whereas as an instructor, your goal is to intervene in, in, a, in a sense. How was that transition and was it scary at first? Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't use the word scary. It was, it, it, it was, it's, it's obviously very different, and the, 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 there's similarities between the roles, of course, uh, but there's obviously differences. And, and as you mentioned, there, the role of, a, of an instructor is primarily to identify analysis and fix faults. So that using the core competencies of identification, analysis, and remedial. And for an ex- examiner, it's the same other than the remedial is is changed to assessment. You identify faults, you analyze them in your mind to make sure you, you, you've, you've seen it correctly, you've identified where it goes on the marking sheet, and then you use what we call the rules and tools of assessment to assess that fault. So that's kind of like you 
doing your remedy, isn't it? So it's similar, but of course, you're not intervening with that remedy. That's the thing, that's the different bit, isn't it? You know, I think all ADIs have got a similar kind of grain running through them in terms of they want to help people. You know, you, you want to be part of that journey to help somebody. And I don't think an examiner is any different, but it is difficult to sit you know initially when you're in those early stages of wanting to just say something you know just just to help somebody and there's a fine line in 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 that because we can do that with customer service and we can do that with helping somebody by giving them a little bit of help if it's not overstepping the mark of assessment but yes it's it it is transition but i think what helped me is i've always been a very how can I phrase this? I, I don't switch off in the car. I'm, I, you know, even if I'm not driving, I, I, I'm acutely aware of what's happening in the distance behind. You know, I, I, I think I've been like that since I was very, very young. So when you make that transition, you're two, three steps ahead of the person at the side of you. So you'd like to think when something's going to happen, you're seeing it much earlier than what that novice driver is at the side of you. So you know exactly when to in, intervene if necessary. But yes, occasionally, you know, if you're going out with somebody who's not, who's not very good and there's there's no dual controls in the car it, it's a bit daunting at first but but the training does you know prepare people to deal with those kind of instances very well and i think that's why i enjoyed the examiner training as much myself but yeah it's a, it certainly is a, a step into the beyond but i think the vast vast majority of, of people who come into the role do do really enjoy the job i don't believe in them but I enjoy hearing a good conspiracy theory. So I'm going to throw a conspiracy theory at you, see if you can uh, rule this one out for me. So if someone does turn up for a test in their own car with no dual controls, do they get taken on easier routes? Um, yeah, so that that is a conspiracy theory, and, it, and it's absolutely incorrect. So, so yeah, I mean, let, let's let's address that the, there's a couple of questions there because what what's an easier route? Uh, because that... I, I, I would probably dismiss that theory as well. That is their easier routes. You know, um, back back in 2017 when we introduced the new test, we, we looked at all the routes at the test centre because that was all part of our research evidence in terms of the routes are really key because ultimately the routes tests that person's competence ability to prove that they're a safe and competent driver. So we wanted to ensure that the routes had got a nice, even balance of all these kind of, you know, riskier roads, if you like, to, to for the want of a better phrase, putting people through the paces to, to ensure that they've got that, that can, they can demonstrate those competencies. So I'd probably like to quash the easy routes. I think I know what you're saying. You know, listen, I've, I've, I've sat on both sides of the field. I was a, I was an ADI. I, I was an examiner. So I know these kind of myths exist. And what maybe might be deemed an easier route to someone might be completely different to somebody else. So I think routes are consistent. I'd like to to qualify that, but I'd also like to qualify the, 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 the conspiracy theory that people who come up in private cars don't get any kind of preferential treatment in terms of what route they'd go on. Yeah, it's not one I believe, but I do love a good conspiracy theory. <laughs> don't we all? Just on that then, actually, and then I think we'll dive into the, the, the topic after this, but... There is, or there has been over the years, uh, the, the pass rate discrepancy between private runners and ADIs, and that private runners are generally a little bit higher in terms of a pass rate. I just wondered if you had an opinion as to why that was. Um, you, there's, there's not a tremendous amount of difference, but you're right. There, there has been over the over the over the time slight differences in that. Uh, we have seen an increase in in people coming up in their own cars, uh, around twenty five percent. 
approximately uh, come up in, in in a private runner. You know, there's lots of reasons, but I think one of the, the the probably the most prominent would be the fact that that person might have been driving more. Ultimately, they've got more hours under the belt. You know as well as I do when when you when you're teaching somebody to drive, if they can accelerate their learning with some private tuition, it doesn't half help. I think. Again, you'll know as well as I do, when, when you're teaching somebody to drive, you get to a, an almost kind of light bulb moment when, when they turn the corner of, ah, oh, right, you, you're starting to get that now. That independence is coming. The hard work's starting to pay off. You're starting to really achieve that goal now. And I think you get there quicker if you're doing private tuition. So, And even just the small bits, Terry, such as, you know, I, I remember people I used to teach to drive and when they eventually got to a stage where you're happy to say, yeah, you're okay to go out with a family or friend now, even if it's just that little drive in the morning to school, college, work, to the shops on a weekend, whatever it may be, 10, 15 minutes, half an hour here and there really does accelerate that learning. So I think that plays a big part in it, the fact that they're probably getting more, more time. And, and just on that, I think, you know, there's, there's a there's a research campaign that, that's taking place in the background at the moment with TRL, the Transport Research Laboratory, which I think DIA are involved in as well, um, which is called um, Driver 2020. And, and some of the interventions that they're looking at in that research is, is, is a logbook in terms of recording the hours and, and one of the one of the the milestones if you like to get to what is almost a, a kind of competent level to talk about 100 hours which is obviously a lot but people who can try to get to that um it's almost like you really turn a corner when you get there i'm not saying everybody needs to do 100 hours you know everybody's different but it's when you've achieved that after test as well once you get to that kind of milestone so i, I think that does play a part in it yeah, I think two quick things on that. Firstly, um, I like a little story, so bear with me. I had a, a learner once who he passed his test. He passed after 18 hours with me, but he'd done something like an hour to two hours almost every day with his mum and dad. He was out driving home every day. So in the end, he must have done almost 200 hours from start to test. And he passed with one driver fault. I'll never forget, he'd stopped in front of someone's driveway when he pulled up beside a road. That was driver fault. And then he recommended to his mates, and I got five of his mates all messaged me the same week, and they all said, I'd like to come with you. This person's recommended me. I'd like to book 20 hours, please. Why are they all asking for 20 hours? And then it twigged. He'd told all his mates he'd passed in 20 hours only. I haven't told him he'd had all this 100 hours extra practice, and they all thought they could just come and pass in, in 20 hours, which amused me greatly, but not so much him when I told them all it had taken him over 100 hours. Um, yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? It's, yeah. It, it is strange. I mean, I remember... Being, being that age myself, you know, 17, it was almost like a bit of bravado with, with, with your friends in terms of who had the least amount of hours. I mean, that, that, that's so bonkers looking at it, isn't it? It's so, you know, the opposite of what you should be thinking. But of course, at that age, it is um, <laughs> understanding the risks and responsibilities that come with driving isn't necessarily at the forefront of your mind. It it seems strange that the bravado would, would override that in terms of, oh, yeah, I pass with this amount. But you know, someone else would always tend to have passed with less, which, you know, is is, is, is a, an ever-challenging battle, I guess. Yeah. I think the other thing that I see a lot with uh, the private practice is they get into more situations. So we can be outside the road of them as much as we want. We can talk about what's around that corner. But they go around that corner 20 times with us and nothing's ever there. But if they do it an extra 100 times with their parents or whatever, there's more chance of something being there. And as much as you can talk about it, 
it's never quite as good as actually experiencing it. So I do think that those situations that crop up will probably influence that as well. But either way, let's let's move on. Uh, and we want to talk initially about uh, the relationship between the DVSA and ADI slash PDIs. And I'm going to ask you at first is how would you define that relationship? What What is the relationship between ADIs and the DVSA? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question, Terry, and I, I can only probably answer it from a personal point of view. I mean, looking at it from a, from an agency point of view as well, I guess, you know, I think we're on the same team and we're, we're striving for the same goal in terms of you folks play the, the really hard part in it in terms of the complex ch- challenge that is preparing somebody for a lifetime of safe driving. You know, we're rubber stamping that, but of course, we've got that kind of overarching role as well as terms of regulation uh, with, with ADIs as well. Um, so I, I've always had a very positive, from a personal point of view, a very positive relationship with, with ADIs. I've always embraced that relationship, whether that be in my very early days as a driving examiner. I don't think I've ever had you know, anything other than, than, than a really good professional working relationship at all the test centers I've worked at. Um, and then moving that forward into you know going out and uh, been around the, the country many many occasions speaking at ADI associations and local meetings which I still really enjoy doing I've just organized one today actually for down in West Sussex uh, which I'm looking forward to and again I think it's those kind of things that can help build the relationship we've, we've been doing some webinars recently moving into the, the kind of ADI side of things you, you know you folks now get the engagement call which I think is a really good addition and we've, we've heard some really fantastic feedback on that Again, an opportunity just just to have a chat, you know, and, and not just about the the job, but you know, and then it expands, doesn't it? Like what we're doing today, um, you know, the LDTM surgeries where we encourage, um, you know, the knock on the door to ask a question, or whether that be in the, the official environment of an, an LDTM surgery. Surgery. So, yeah, I'd like to think the relationship is good. Could it be better? Yeah, I think it could. And, you know, I, I personally think things like what we're doing today and, and, and we've been doing recently can help that. But in the grand scale of things, you know, if you think about how many of you folks there are and how many of us there are, there's always going to be the odd fractured relationship. But I think generally, Terry, I think I'd like to, to say it's a positive relationship that can continue to improve. I... Um... I think it's important to take a moment here, for, in particular for anyone listening, to distinguish the difference between the individuals at the DVSA and the DVSA as an organisation. Because I don't know how uh, what what you're like on social media, but I'm on social media quite a lot. I like to scan and see what's going on and get a feel for the room, that kind of stuff. And you'll see a lot of criticism towards the DVSA. And I just think it's important to, to distinguish that that's, always to me I like is towards the DVSA not towards individuals like you said there you personally have always had a good relationship with ADIs um, but not necessarily uh, sorry my words now not yours but the DVSA might not always have a good relationship with ADIs and I do think it's important to distinguish those two because I think I would possibly have a slightly different opinion to you where you're saying the relationship is good in that I think it's a little bit more fractured at the minute than perhaps the, the DVSA realise. Now, I will also be completely honest here and say that, uh, to me, there's always extremes. I think we mentioned this before we started recording, actually, there's always extremes. You, there will be people that are just beholden to the DVSA, 
Eddie Isaac beholdens the deviacy and will uh, bow down and worship at your altar. And there are the other extreme, which you will never, ever do. You could offer them the opportunity to stay self-employed, but offer them six weeks paid leave and a 100% guaranteed pass rate, and they would still complain. And then I think most people are in the middle, and that's kind of where I am. But I think on a personal level, I'm seeing more and more people that are edging towards that, that negative view. And in fact, I was looking, I was trying to, to think of a way to summarize that, um, to, to, to how ADIs feel, not just towards the, uh, the DVSA, but in, on, like, on a whole. And I was really, really struggling to put it into words. And I stumbled across a Facebook post, and I have stolen this Facebook status, and I have checked with a chap, uh, a chap called Scott Cooper. Uh, and I'm going to read it to you, uh, and I'll just be interested in your response, but I will just put a caveat on at the end of it. So uh, basically it says, at what point will the DVSA do something meaningful about test times rather than send pointless emails and texts to pupils asking if we're given them mock tests? How is this sustainable? How can I, with a clear conscience, start a new pupil knowing it's 50-50 whether that pupil can get a test in the same year at the same end of the country as they live? And... I think the reason why that struck a chord with me is because it, it's not it's a it's an ADI's looking for help from the DVSA. It's ADI struggling, wanting the DVSA to do more. Then looking at the other side of the pupils and feeling like, well, I can't help these guys. How can I take this guy on when I don't even know when I give him a test? So I felt that summarised it quite well. And I realise I've spoken more since I've said it, but I'd just be interested in, in, in your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, listen, what I mentioned earlier is absolutely true. I, d I do think we've got great relationships, but being naive to think that recent times hasn't polarised some of those opinions, like I think you said it was Scott there. And can I sympathise with that? Absolutely. I mean... You know, I'm not going to throw the COVID card excuse in here, but it's a reality. The fact that, you know, our world was turned upside down for however long and we made the right decision. And listen, it was the right decision to, to protect our examiners and, and, you know, our stakeholders as well, which includes you folks in terms of stopping testing. It was the right thing to do and we'll make no apologies for that. But listen, our priority, and it is a priority, and anybody who wants to challenge me on that, I'll, I'll take them on toe to toe because we, we are doing absolutely everything we can and I'll, I'll name some of those things that we're doing because listen customer service to us is certainly from my point of view and i know from that the agency wide it it's absolutely paramount that we provide a suitable service for our customers it's not in our interest not to you know we we want to provide that service so what have we done to try to get those service levels back to an acceptable customer measure well we, we've done a lot and, and to name just just a few things uh, terry you know we've we've been we've introduced a, a buyback leave scheme so we've we've, we've created over thirteen thousand extra tests for that overtime weekends public holidays we've done an extra 120,000 tests since april 21 uh, we, we've we're trying to recruit 300 extra examiners we're about halfway through that because we've had some um you know some examiners leaving due to circumstances with with the world as it is and other reasons so we're, we're still we're still doing that the, the next recruitment campaign is, is already underway and it, we've, we've we've had over ten thousand drives done already to get bums on seats on training courses to get those examiners in the positions that we need them uh, we've increased test availability with bringing in um 
the likes of myself, you know, warrant card holders who can test. Managers have been testing two days a week. So there's very little extra we can do that we haven't been doing. And we've got a working group set up with lots of people to ensure that we get these waiting times back to an acceptable level as soon as possible. Yes, it's not as soon as we'd like, but on top of everything that we're doing, it's very little else we can. But going back to the original point, I absolutely understand that this current situation would polarise people's feelings. It's you know I I absolutely understand what what it's like to get that license and what it's like as an ADI. The frustration of being able to book a test. So all I can say is, and hopefully you know you, you believe me when I'm saying we're, we're doing everything we can and we're constantly looking at ways of of, of doing more. And 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 just to address. Um, I think he said it was Scott's point about some of the, the, the measures which he, he seemed to, to to not really pay the respect that we believe they deserve. That the text message service, you know, that that's a really great introduction. It it's come it's come in. We've we've not had the measures to 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 sorry, we've not had enough data to measure it in terms of how many tests that's saving, but we were getting six thousand people a month not turning up for the tests. That that that's that's just an absolute waste, isn't it? We're getting people, you know, the pass rate. We're wanting to increase the pass rate if we can, because people need to be prepared to drive for a lifetime of safe driving, not just to pass a test. But if we can get people better prepared, it goes without saying the waiting time will come down. So those measures, which hopefully we'll speak about a little bit later as well, are absolutely worthwhile. So so, so I take umbrage with that comment, but I absolutely understand that, um, you know, emotions will be polarised due to uh, the, uh, the, the, the waiting times. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely come back to the the points you made there about the tech service and and um, and the other parts. But I think, like you mentioned, emotions there, and I think that with with ADIs at the minute, there's almost a desperation at times because I think how can I phrase this? So public facing. So everything you've mentioned there is right. All the stuff the DVSA are doing, putting those those blocks in place, if you like. But people aren't seeing that. You know, that's not what's being spoke about. That's not what's been sent out in emails over the last two years. What's been communicated to ADIs and the public, and not specifically but implicitly, is that we need to fix it. You know, going back to the standards check change uh, last year, the implication from that was, right, you guys need to fix this pass rate. Or we're going to drag you in for a standards check. That that was the implication from that, and it was only you know when we dug in deeper and asked people that it was then clarified um, with the the text messaging service. And you're one hundred percent right. I think it's brilliant, by the way. So that's not this isn't a criticism on this. It's just the 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 outward facing stuff that I'm referring to, not the actual action. But the text messaging service again, the onus is then put on the people to turn up. The um, the are you ready yet campaign, the the mock tests, the onus is public are being put on the learners and on the ADIs, but nothing has been publicly put on the DVSA. All we're seeing publicly is ADIs need to do more, learners need to do better, and if they're not ready, you can change the test. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I, 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 get, I get how that might be interpreted that way, and 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 I think sometimes, and I mentioned this previously in terms of if you look at the scales of in terms of how many adis there are you know we're not we're not saying that the vast vast majority of adis don't do a great job 
we want you all to do a great mm-hmm. job, you know. And I, and I understand sometimes when you, you when you're receiving something and you think, is that addressed at me? Well, it's addressed to everybody, mm-hmm. you know. And I think maybe we we could take something back in terms of saying, well, actually, you know, because sometimes when you get in a correspondence and you feel like, well, I'm doing the best I can. I'm already doing these kind of things. Sometimes that might come across as a little bit deflating. So 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 that's appreciated. But I do think it's a joint effort, and I do think we're doing our parts just to reiterate some of those points in terms of trying to increase recruitment, trying to, you know, uh, get the people in the right places, looking at our own services like the text messaging, um, the, the, the booking service, we're, we're looking at improving that. So we absolutely appreciate where we can help to fix the problem as well. But even if we didn't have a waiting time, I think let, let's imagine we're, we're sat in a, in a great world where you know you can you can get that that test within six weeks, which is usually the golden figure, isn't it? Where um, I think you know these kind of things would have been happening anyway, uh, Terry, because I know hopefully we'll get the opportunity to speak about the mock test in a moment, and and and, and that kind of work was starting back in 2019. So there's a lot of these things that would have been progressing and moving anyway that are kind of on our on our pad to be looking at working on you know improving the pass rate that's nothing new you know i was in a meeting the other day when i think somebody quoted something from a meeting in 1967 in parliament where it was said that the pass rate is this and it and it's still kind of the same so improving the pass rate isn't a dig at driving instructors it's 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 looking at how we can you know improve the quality of driving of people who go on and that is a difficult thing for you folks in terms of managing people's expectations it's kind of back to the thing we were talking about that provado about how many lessons somebody wants to have so it's how can we help you folks underpin that to prepare people to come up and be as well prepared as possible i can understand how that may come across as a bit pointy but it's absolutely not supposed to be. Uh, it, it, and like I said initially, it, it's a joint effort. But I think we're, we're helping to plug as much as we can, and, and that'll continue to move forward. But uh, yeah, I think the the communication from the DVSA has improved, in my opinion, vastly this year. Um, and I think that things like you coming on this podcast and you were recently on uh, the Dipod uh, Driving Instructors podcast as well. So if you're listening, go and check that out. Um, but, but yeah, so that is going to help massively, in my opinion, because as you just said, you just explained that it's not aimed at us. This is the, the, the mock test is something that was going to be, you know, put forward anyway. But we didn't know that. But that gets sent out in emails and like you said it feels pointy but you now taking the time to come on here and explain that i think is a massive step forward and i think that you know whether that's on podcasts or whether it's via an email whether it's via um uh whatever social media platform or whatever it is i think that that is a big step forward because at the minute you know i did like your word it's pointy or that's how it's how it feels um because the other thing, just in terms of that communication, and I'm not necessarily sure if this is your remit, but I think the DVSA is very good at telling us what they're doing, but not necessarily why they're doing it. And again, I'm being careful to distinguish DVSA from individuals, but they tell us what they're doing, but not necessarily why. So I think that's where it where it comes from. But just, just touching on that relationship again for a minute, is there anything that you think that, the DVSA could be doing more of to to strengthen the relationship because, like I said, it is a teamwork. What 
we have mm. to work together. We we are accountable to the DVSA, and the DVSA kind of needs driving instructors to provide driver training. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, picking up on a couple of points you made, Dan, I would absolutely agree in terms of the the communication between DVSA uh, and ADIs in terms of our own in, uh, communications teams are absolutely fantastic. It might not always appear to be like that, but just just to understand that the pressures that those folks work under and that and they're a really hard working, passionate team. All of our you know internal and external, and it's the external that you'll you'll have the interaction with and they're an extremely hard-working, passionate team. And, and I work quite closely with them on a number of things. And their hands sometimes are tied. And I think this is the thing that people need to understand. You know, everything needs to be passed by DFT, needs to be cleared. So a lot of the time, they work that you know, and get signed off, That a lot of the time they've got this, the, the, the comms prepared to go out and it doesn't come out, it might come out later than you would have liked. And, and a lot of the time, that's, that's not their fault. You know, they're waiting for sign-off. And imagine the amount of things that need to be signed off but they are working tirelessly and they've got some really cool initiative ideas moving forward you've probably noticed they've relaunched the instagram page uh, which is getting some good traffic on there you know i, I was talking to you briefly offline terry wasn't it about some other platforms that potentially we could use social media and whatnot and yet we do get negative comments on that and i don't think that necessarily helps anybody by all means ask challenging questions and we that that that's helpful that's valuable but if people are just being a bit you know going on there and and and, and you know just airing frustrations it doesn't always help moving forward but I really do think that, you know, and the, the work we do with NASP as well, I'm sure you've heard of NASP, uh, the National and Strategic Partnership with, uh, you know, uh, the, the the big ADI instruct, uh, associations there. You know, we meet with those folks and we try to, 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 to listen to their views and, and work closely with them. And we've got some really good relationships there as well. But uh, hopefully what we're doing uh, and what we'll be able to do, once we get our head above water a little bit more with, with the waiting times, and let's hope that's not too long, um, around you know February, March, at the very latest, we're hoping that those measures will be back to an acceptable measure. Um, and, and then we can really start to, to, to crack on with, with some progressive work moving forward. Yeah, and just for anyone listening, uh, I did do a, an episode with NASP. I think it was episode four or five of season three. Uh, we got Lynn, Peter, and Carly on. Uh, so go back and check that out because for me, that was a real eye opener as well. It's something that I've learned doing this podcast, speaking to different people about the different relationships. And they were telling me about some of the the trouble they have with the DVSA. Not, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean the, the struggles that we all have in that communication and, and the hurdles that we all have to jump to get stuff out. I mean, I'm sat on quite a big announcement now that I can't release them. I'm waiting on some people signing it off. So it's, But I think the other thing I would want to ask you is, because I asked you then about what the DVSA could be doing and what, what could ADIs be doing more to improve that relationship? I mean, you mentioned about less of the, the unpleasantness online, and I'm massive for that because I see it not just towards the DVSA, but we'll see someone ask a question in a Facebook group and just get slaughtered by a bunch of ADIs. And this is public. You know, this can be public stuff. So I think we do need to rein it in a little bit. I quite liked Scott's uh, post that he put up, the one I read out early, because that felt quite articulate to me. It was expressing emotion and frustration. And I felt a lot of that and feel a lot of that. And I've, I've made this question really long-winded, so apologies. But but do you think there's anything that ADIs could be doing more to improve that working relationship, if you like, with the DVSA? Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't want really want to tell ADIs what they should be doing. I mean, I can I can speak from personal um, 
experience when I was an ADI. I think it it can be difficult because it almost feels like you're working in silo quite a lot. You know, you're, you're out there, you're, you're doing your lessons, you, 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 you see other instructors at the test center uh, and that's your time to kind of interact. And sometimes as we all know, you, 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 we share a few stories and whatnot and before you know it, you're back out again, working on your own. So I think anytime you can get together and, and, and look to, you know, whether that be joining one of the associations, a local association, uh, and communicate that way. I think that's good. Um, you know, that, that, that was the part that I found a little bit harder, you know, working kind of in isolation. Um, as a, and I used to really enjoy getting together with, with local associations and whatnot. But, uh, of course, professional development, CPD, courses to go on. There's a whole host of things out there that, that you know, that I, that I won't go into. And I'm sure you, you've done that on other podcasts. Um, but, yeah, there's a whole host of things that uh, people could be doing. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's my place on, on this particular podcast to be uh, – expressing that i don't know because you've just listed off a lot of things that have made me smile so <laughs> there you go <laughs> all right let, let's move away from that then because i do want to talk about some of the the things that the dvsa is presenting and putting forward as we've we mentioned so uh, the mock tests is a big one at the minute so i think i just want to ask you initially to clarify this and just tell us about a little bit about the stance of where the dvsa stance on mock tests and what's actually provided for for instructors at the moment yeah, I mean, just just a little bit of background on, on on this one, Terry. So, so back in 2019, when we when we surveyed over 7,000 ADIs, one of the questions in there was, uh, "Do you conduct mock tests?" And we we had a good response. You know, it was a, it was a really pleasing response to that. In terms of 96% of ADIs said, "Yeah, we carry out mock tests." However, 89% said, um, "We." We don't feel they're as realistic as they could be. So that obviously gave us the insight to, to, to go away and think, right, what can we do? And that's where this this chunk of work come out recently, which is on gov.uk, where I'm sure most people have been. But if you haven't, jump on there and take a look. It's all nicely in sections, so you can just, just look at it at your leisure. But it would probably take about 45 minutes to digest it all there. We've got the marking sheet, all the wordings, the procedures, everything that needs to be included. So it was a conscious decision to, to, to be quite a, a chunk of work because if we missed anything out, we're, we're defeating the point in terms of giving you the information you need. And of course, I'm sure most ADIs are aware of this, but there might be things that just validate for them or think, yeah, oh, that's really, that's really helpful. So that kind of goes back to what we could be doing to help on a previous question you asked, and I think this is part of that work, isn't it, where we're trying to say, okay, we're, we're on the same team here. We'll give you as much information as we can. So that's on there. Um, and hopefully, because we really believe there's value in that mock test for many reasons, but you know, and I've done some webinars recently and I think we're publishing one of them. So I'll not go too deep into it all because I'll be repeating what's on those webinars. But I think one of the really important things from my point of view, Terry, is is reducing that level of instruction. If I have a criticism of some ADIs, and I was guilty of it myself, I'm, I'm sure, you know, when I was teaching in terms of thinking, did I really reduce that level of instruction enough to prove that level of independence on the student's part? Because it's easy to think, well, I didn't really do much on that lesson, so they were doing it themselves. But some of those prompts and Q&As are really vital, you know. If, if, if you weren't doing them, ultimately the person goes and takes the test the next day, let's say, passes, and the very next drive they do is without any of those prompts and Q&A, none of that safety blanket that you provide. And lo and behold, 
That's why it's so daunting. So it's really reducing that level of independence, validating that with a mock test, um, ensuring that the person is demonstrating on that kind of length of time with all the legal requirements that are included on the mock test. Um, so for those reasons, and just finally before I allow you to come back with your next question, the re- the other thing I really love about the mock test is the opportunity at the end to, to see how the student actually appraises their own performance rather than just delivering the result. I'm gonna, I, I like the idea of, so how, how do you think you went? And I know a lot of ADIs do that already because I, I watch a lot of these social media channels where people put things on. I'm a, I'm a bit of a secret watcher in the background, which I really enjoy. Uh, and I, so I know a lot of people are doing that approach anyway. But what a great way to, you know, listen and, and see if their their own reflection of the performance is accurate. So, yeah, I th- th- there's lots and lots of things in the mock test that we think is really, really valuable. And that's just a couple, I think, are, are probably standouts. What's the biggest purpose behind a mock test would you say well you know i think it i think there's there's many i've just highlighted a couple there but i think the biggest is 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 also for the for the student themselves to to understand where they're at it, it's that validation of saying yeah we're there and you know yourself if you've sat in on tests and we absolutely promote sitting in on tests we we we, we would like adi to sit in on every test if they could but it's not always the case and i think if you highlight that early in the learning you, there's more chance that the, the student will be uh, you know up for it but it's that you know yourself if you've sat in on a test or even if you haven't you know the performance of the student tends to drop a little bit on the test because it's new it's that almost white coat syndrome where the nerves kick in it's out of the comfort zone you're no longer there sat next to them the pressure the anxiety all that that builds up and never an experience in that before well you know i i get nervous doing all sorts of things i get nervous coming on here talking to you you know so but i've done i've done a few mock tests in terms of other others to prepare myself but you know joking aside it's it's absolutely vital isn't it to to try and have that that run through and understanding certain people who are of a nervous disposition like to know exactly what's going to happen right we'll go there we'll sit there we'll do this we'll do that then this will happen if something's taking you by surprise and you're not aware of that then you're probably not going to deal with it as well as you would if you've already been through that experience uh i'll be honest the only thing i'm taking away from what you've said there is the fact that everything else leading up to this podcast was practice and now this is a real deal that's that's what i'm taking away from that there you go. <laughs> I, I want to kind of touch back on a, a couple of things there. So first of all, the, the resources that you have put out uh, for the mock test is is superb, in my opinion. And I appreciate this is only my opinion, although I'm sure I speak for a lot of ADIs. I think that the, the blogs, the webinars, the stuff that's on the on the, the gov.uk, I think is, is ridiculously thorough in a good way, ridiculously for her. And yes, I have seen people criticise it for the fact that on there it states, ask to see their licence, do an eyesight check. I've seen people criticise it for that. To me, that's just petty criticism for the sake of being petty. I think that's irrelevant. I think that the you can choose whether you do that or not. You don't have to criticise for someone saying it or someone suggesting it. I think the resources are really, really good. I do have... A couple of, of of concerns around it, and maybe you can help me help me with these. It really, really feels like it's. I know it's not mandatory, 
But the implication is that it's it's mandatory that everyone should do a mock test. I mean, I know students are getting uh, text or emails saying, you know, you've got your test coming up, you should have completed a mock test by now. Now, my stance on mock tests is that I will suggest them to the student, but I've never insisted they do them. Some people want to do them, some people don't. And uh, I think there is benefits to them, definitely. But for me, generally, only for the people that are actually going to get want them and are going to gain from them. Because I think that if you force someone to do it, you're not going to get the, the right level of input from them anyway. But with the stuff that's coming out from the DVSA, including, like I say, the text of students, you should have done a mock test by now. I find that quite concerning because of the implication that it's almost mandatory. What? How would you respond to that? No, I, th- I think I totally agree. I mean, what you're doing is 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 adopting and applying a you know a client centered co- coaching approach, which is is absolutely on the right path. You know, you've highlighted the benefits, and I'm sure you you, you probably find your students are in the minority who would say they don't want mm-hmm. to do them. And listen, that's absolutely fine. You've offered the the mock test. You've explained what it's all about. And there's other ways of, of applying that into your lessons, isn't there? You know, you, you, it doesn't need to be a mock test, but you can say, okay, what we're going to do, you, you know, we're thinking about you about ready for test standard now. You're showing that, that, that kind of independence and competence across most of the syllabus and the, and the competencies. How about, I'm going to do 20 minutes or so without giving any instruction and we'll see how you go. You know, in, in theory, that's almost like a little bit of a mock test without the, the you know, the, uh, the the other elements that you mentioned there, the signing up, the this, the that. So as, as long as somebody's showing that kind of standard uh, in other ways and the, uh, because they're adverse to doing a mock test, then you, you, you're covering it off. But absolutely, you know, we're saying you should have done one by now, or you should be at a standard that a mock test would be showing. If you're interpreting that through a client-centered learning approach in different ways, then that's absolutely fine. But of course, we still believe that the mock test is, is, is has got the value, but it doesn't need to be mandatory. But as long as you, 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 you find in those kind of qualities and, 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 and getting that validation in other ways, that, 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 in my opinion, is kind of the same thing. I think my concern there is that, again, from the outside looking in, so not even necessarily from a from an ADI's perspective, maybe Joe Public or the learner's perspective, that sees the you know the 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 thing about the standard checks that sees the um, oh, I can't remember everything else said, but everything else I said before when I was talking about that outside looking in, mm. and then they see this. I kind of think of an instructor that doesn't do mock tests. And I think for me, it's that word should. Now, I'm getting really nitpicky here, so I apologize. But it does irk me slightly that, you know, if I chose not to do mock tests for whatever reason, one of my students could see that message and be like, well, you should be doing mock tests. But Hmm. as an independent sole trader, you know, that's, that's my choice. It's not a, to me, it isn't a should. And I don't know, I can see why some some instructors would get frustrated by that. Now, I'm not expecting you to come back and say, yes, Harry, we'll go change our wording for you. You point that out to us. But I, I just think it's it's worth noting because, again, it's almost a little bit pointy, even though that isn't the intention. I, I fully get that. No, I, I see what you mean. And I think, you know, that that relationship between ADI and student is is a is a is a joint relationship in terms of structuring what's best for that student and it's it's not 
what DVSAs say you should do this. We're advising that this should be part of it for, for the highlighted reasons. If it's a discussion and, and that discussion results in that it's not actually the best strategy for ourselves, then that's absolutely fine. But we can only highlight and promote what we believe um, is, is, is the best way to, to prepare somebody for that, you know, not just for the test, but like I keep saying, you know, for that, that independent driving on their own um, once that uh, safety blanket is removed. But, yeah, it's, I, I take on board the point you're making, and, and I would just reiterate the fact that I think that, that comes down to that individual conversation in the car because ultimately that ADI – they're the expert in that car and working jointly with that student, then then they can come up with the right strategy. I think I'm just going to throw in a, a brief one here as well, because this is where mock tests can be useful, in my opinion, because um, I had a student, I don't know if I've told this story on the show before, but I had a student and we're doing bay parking in probably somewhere, you know, the White Rose Centre up in, in Leeds, uh, which is a great car park yep. for bay parking. We're in the empty bay. And she's like, oh, can I ever go by myself? I've been giving a little bit of help. Can I ever go by myself? I said, uh, yes. Um, how about we do it as if you're on a driving test? So we're going to do the next two minutes where you're just doing this reverse bit park as if you're on a test. Then we'll assess it as if you've just done a test at the end. And she went, she got quite excited by the day. And she went to pull out. And I forget the question, but she asked me something. Something like, do I need to check here or something like that? And I answered, um, your instructor should have gone you through that with you beforehand as an examiner. I can't answer that. And she told me afterwards that made it click for her that, oh, yeah, on a test, I can't ask for help. So that helped her just get that that shift in mentality, and she went on to pass. So it just helped with that shift in mentality. So even if it's not necessarily building a skill or it's not um, – uh, what's the word, gaining independence, it can just help a shift in mentality sometimes, I think. So there's definitely some good from it. Uh, but yeah, I would also say that, yeah, anyone listening, go and check out the stuff online because whether you use it or not is up to you, as you said, Graham, but I think there's some really good resources there. Uh, but I am going to play devil's advocate for a second and uh, again, I think, potentially. Safe driving for life. By promoting mock tests, uh, are we maybe stepping back slightly from the, the the idea of safe driving for life and becoming a little bit test focused? Um, yeah, I mean, we, I guess we've kind of touched on this throughout the the conversation so far in terms of, and even with the, you could look at that in terms of the wording of the campaign we've got. Uh, <laughs> out now in terms of the ready to pass campaign um if you focus purely on the wording then i guess you'd say we're, we're, we're promoting people to pass the test but it, it's not that is it it's much bigger it's it is absolutely preparing people to to drive unaccompanied for that first time and getting through that that vulnerable stage because we all know that first six to nine months um is is when when novice drivers are at the most vulnerable and that's when they do need the most protection so the best they can be prepared uh, will ultimately uh, serve them in good stead post test once that safety blanket has been removed so we absolutely do promote safe driving for life we of course have got the driving test as that kind of validation and all we're wanting to do is try to improve the pass rate because if we can improve the pass rate that ultimately is telling us people are better prepared uh, as opposed to people coming up and not only failing you know it's not helping the backlog as well is it of that that, that frustration of, of people having to wait so long so if they are better prepared the chances of passing first time is is, is greater and in 
what comes with that naturally is the fact that they are better prepared to go off and drive drive on a company but uh, yeah no ab- absolutely it's, it's 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 not just about passing tests and and, and we, we like to think that that comes with it <laughs> you know yeah. it, it comes with the fact that they are better prepared but um you know yourself as well once once sometimes somebody has taken the test getting them then to re-engage with that learning process can sometimes be difficult sometimes they feel like well okay now i just need another one lesson before i take the next test again and before you know it you can kind of get into groundhog day so it's really making sure that groundwork and preparation's done prior to that person taking the first test and ultimately that that should lead to them being uh, safer in that that early vulnerable stage yeah i like that looking at the independence looking at uh, looking at the independence after the test but also you know helping them prepare for the test um but one thing, or a couple of things we've touched on there around the whole mock test, we spoke about the text messaging and the ready to pass campaign. So I do want to touch on these with you because I know that these are, are things that the DBSA are promoting at the minute. So just regarding the text messaging, what and was the original purpose around that just aimed at the, the people that were missing tests? Was that the, the big idea behind that to make sure people were turning up for them? A little bit of both, Terry, to be honest. I mean, it, it's probably a service that, that, that we needed to introduce maybe sooner arguably you know we could we could be criticized for that you know you look at other services that that have done that for some time we did that with the mot as well you know i'm sure you've benefited from that reminder message that we introduced on mot and you know even when you go to the dentist these days you tend to get a message to remind you and you know i've, I've been guilty of, of missing appointments in the past just through forgetfulness so we, we really needed to tackle that so in, i mentioned earlier no shows waste more than six thousand tests a month which is that's been a, a really big increase uh, or pre-pandemic measured. So we need we needed to come up with ways of doing that. So the reminder service is uh, is and like I said, it's slightly too early to tell in terms of um, where we are in terms of the value that's had. But I'm sure it's going to you know reduce that figure. Uh, and and as you're aware, it's 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 sent on ten days out and then six days out to. Uh, to, to remind people so yeah we're, we're hoping that's going to have a, have a have a positive impact on on reducing those those kind of wasted slots um so yeah those uh wasted slots and how much of that do you think uh, i appreciate it's probably hard to quantify but I'd, I'd be remiss not to ask how much of that do you think is down to people learning to drive being told they're not ready and then by their instructor and then going to try and find another instructor and then not being able to find one and then just not turn up because then they've got too late to cancel. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a combination of all of them, isn't it? I think there's probably some genuine ones in there, which hopefully the reminder service will will almost eradicate. Um, so that that's going to be really great there. We've then got the ones which people have booked a test and, and kind of gone against the better judgment of their ADI and then looking to get another another test and, and unfortunately or, or another vehicle, let's say, and not being able to acquire that. Then you've got some of these where maybe and another thing that we're tackling obviously is, is these bots that are booking the tests um, and then maybe not swapping them or, or, or for whatever reason they're not they've not sold them or whatever. And the fact that they obviously um, 
selling them at a premium or whatever there might be some that are going slipping through the net so it's a combination of all of those things but i think the intervention we've put in place there we're, we're, we're really positive that that's going to uh, reduce that figure right down um, so yeah so just just on those you mentioned the bots there so the the, the test app stuff like i'm not going to name them <laughs> don't want to promote them but the, no, the apps that people not. use what is the big problem with those because from a simpleton's perspective like mine student today uh failed the driving test and she wants to get a new one but she can't book until january february next year so she books february and then goes and gets one of the apps that then helps her find an earlier slot what what is the issue with that so yeah i mean i i don't want to talk too much about this because it's not my area of expertise and, and and i think you're right i think there are some maybe genuine cases out there where somebody can do things but it's the, it's the ones that are basically swamping up the system as soon as we open up let's say for example you know i say okay i'm, I'm going to work a week on saturday i'm, I'm going to do some overtime so i open up a program before you know it they've all been bought by the bots and then these bots are then selling them at a really inflated rate which is you know fair enough if somebody's doing a swap and there's a there's a there's a, a premium to pay on that but they, they these are you know just swamping them up uh, and they're not they're not an actual uh they've not got any adi association with them that you know um it's those kind of ones that that we want to put a stop to of course um and it's difficult because some of our systems are a, a little bit outdated the booking system so if you you imagine you've been online and you're just about to purchase something and sometimes it will ask you to confirm in the squares where the zebra crossing might be or the bikes might be in certain squares so that level of protection i'm, I'm far from an expert on that but the bots could buy uh, couldn't bypass them so we've introduced things like that to try to reduce these bots from from swamping up all the tests and uh, you know that so we're, we're putting measures in place that the booking system is having a, a overhaul as well which is is, is updating it and a, a well overdue update so that that's going to be much more um you know um kind of smart in it in its ability to be able to deal with those kind of things but uh, it's a bit like the game you play at uh, the seaside is it whack-a-mole where you hit one <laughs> down and, and then another one pops up so it's 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 a battle that we're, we're starting to win but uh, yeah it's uh, it's it's still an ongoing issue that we're that we're working out to deal with cool um anything else you'd like to mention there around mock tests or the text or anything like that uh, I, I suppose in the in terms of the mock test, I think we've 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 covered the majority there without me going into granular detail in terms of where you can find the information on gov.uk. It's got the marking sheet on there, on on some of the the web webinars I, I spoke about assessment, which I think is quite an interesting subject for ADIs because the level of assessment that an ADI might mark on a mock test might be slightly different to an examiner. An examiner's got that almost threshold, if you like, in terms of the, the, the deviation that a candidate might make with a fault might not necessarily be what we call worthy of recording, whereas an ADI will see a fault and fix it which is, is is absolutely right but that fault might not necessarily make its way onto a marking sheet on a on a on a, an actual test so there, we spoke a little bit about that on the webinars um where to mark the faults etc but yeah I, th I think i think we've pretty much covered most of the things i'd like to talk about on the on on the mock test there just 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 briefly back to the the, the better prepared campaign or in terms of we, we spoke about the messaging service there and we, we've we've also but 
information on our gov.uk page it's also on our instagram page where you can see some helpful tips and reminders uh, about coming for the test we've, we've obviously been getting a lot of private runners coming so just ensuring the car is appropriate for use on the test um, if your instructor's booking to, to include your number on the booking so you get your benefit from the reminder service so there's a whole host of things that we've put on there to you know to help people prepare and ensure that there's no disappointment on the day in terms of the vehicle that they're presenting in and whatnot. The ready to pass campaign. I am probably ready to take some flack from this, from uh, certain quarters, but I really like it. Um, I think that the way it's worded, the way it's put across the information that's put out there, who it's aimed at, the way it's driven, I think is all, uh, it's what I would do. Essentially, I think there's room for more. I think there's room for more stuff on there. I think there's room for an online checklist that when you go onto the the website, you can click on it. It brings up everything you should have covered and what you should be able to do completely independently with no one sat next to you sort of thing. I think that I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I also really like the fact that you are asking ADIs to promote it and share it. Um, I think that that is 100% right, and I know that there will be ADIs that disagree with me about that. But I'm a big believer in using social media for the good stuff. I'm a big believer that I'm, I instigated um, Driving Instructor Day this year, March the 15th, and it will be again next year. The first ever Driving Instructor Day was this year on March the 15th, and I promoted it, and we got loads of people involved. It was a celebration. People were sharing past pictures, and driving schools were going out uh, on on days out together, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and and we had like the AA and and the RAC jumping in, and and this kind, of, and it was really really cool, and it was really positive for the industry, and I got some awesome feedback from it, and that was purely through social media. So why not? Why not put this awesome stuff out that's directing people the right way, and use driving instructors to promote it to their students as well? I think that's brilliant. Obviously, I've got a couple of caveats there. Um, I think the, the the big one I would say is that on there, there was something about mindfulness, and I've not got up in front of me now, unfortunately, but it was, it was speaking about nerves, and it just felt a little blasé around, around mindfulness and a little bit flippant. Now, I'm presuming you didn't write it. I don't mean to be critical of the individual, um, <laughs> but... I just think that that's some, you know, there's certain things that can be expanded and explored a bit more. Is is that something that's going to be developed uh, as time goes by? Yeah, you, you raise a number of points there, and I'll I'll come to the mindfulness in a moment. And I, I think just just generally, uh, it's really nice to hear that you you feel that that you know that that the prepared campaign is 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 doing what we intend it to do, and you're 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 obviously a fan of that. And I think again comes back to that without being too cliche that kind of being part of a team and we what what can we do there's always going to be quarters that will criticize us whatever we do and, and, and i can understand that but we're not doing this for any other reason than good you know we want we, we what more can we do and, and we're working on what we can do to it's almost enabling you to be the best of yourself what can, and some of it might come across as you know you're teaching us how to suck eggs a little bit but it, it's not intended to be like that you know it's it's about how can we help and sometimes 
little small things can make big steps. So we're absolutely uh, looking to try to do more and work more collaboratively. And, and this is an example of that. But coming back to the point about mindfulness, and it's a really good point. So I'm, I'm pleased you, you, you brought it up. And, and, and going back to the, the information we found out about mock tests, one in 10, and I'm, I'm surprised it's not more actually, so that they, they, they didn't drive as well as they did on the day on the test because of nerves. This is candidates, obviously. So obviously we know nerves play a big part. I mean, listen, if you said to me, what was the most nerve wracking days of your life? I, the driving test would be up there. You know, that would be right up there in the top one, if not two of, you know, and I think most people would agree with that. So the fact it's going to be one of the most nerve wracking experiences of your life, how can we deal with that? Well, listen, that's a million dollar question. If I knew the answer to that, you know, the pass rate would probably be a lot higher than it is because we know nerves do play a part and we believe doing a mock test will help prepare that but what else can we do mindfulness is one of those techniques that uh, i don't confess to be an expert but i know it's widely used and it's almost like a coping strategy isn't it where somebody can and you've you've taught people like this terry everybody suffers with nerves but some are, some suffer more than others so those people who you know is going to play a part on the day of maybe maybe affecting the result of the test because of nerves what what coping strategies can you incorporate to help prepare them well might why not give mindfulness a try you know again it's got to be an agreement with the student and there's some techniques out there and you know we included uh, uh, that the article there from from san harper who, who, who was certainly more than an expert than i am in this field and and, and you know and, and be able to share some good practice so it's it's something that we believe has a place maybe not for everybody uh, but for those people who may be really struggling why not look at mindfulness just to finish on that you asked me if there's anything else we're doing we're, we're looking at a piece of research so we can understand mindfulness more in terms of getting a research company to do some intervention with a cohort of, of, of ADIs and students. So we're, we're looking at that so we can learn more about mindfulness to see if we can actually promote that more so with, with a little bit more authority and some evidence. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm pleased you brought that up. Hopefully, hopefully that helps uh, answer that one. Yeah, and just a, a quick moment for a shameless plug for anyone listening. San Harper, as you mentioned, there is <laughs> phenomenal human being. I, it's just I love San Harper to death. She's been on the show a few times. Go back out and check her, her episodes. Uh, she's also she writes for the DIA. She's she uh, wrote a blog for the the DVSA, I believe, and um, and yeah, she does a, an exclusive podcast for my premium content. And if you sign up for that, you get a ten percent discount off her courses. So go sign up to my premium content and then get ten percent discount with San Harper and help your students pass. There you go. Everyone's a winner i'm setting i'm setting them all up for you here terry oh, yeah. just uh, didn't, didn't even ask me for that one <laughs> no no i'm not paid you for any of this um <laughs> all right so uh we, we've covered a lot there today and i don't want to take up an awful lot more of your time but we have kind of touched on the waiting list throughout this in different facets um is there anything else around the waiting list or anything else that you would like to to mention while you're on the show just before we i hit you with a final few questions no i, I think we, i mentioned the interventions that we've got in place there in terms of you know we're, we're, we're doing as many tests as we can that the, the the schemes that we've, we've we've brought in in terms of offering buyback on leave we're still recruiting heavily uh and those new examiners will be 
hitting the floor in lots of areas uh, throughout the rest of this year. Uh, recruitment's ongoing. Um, so, so, yeah, so it's just a case of training these people up, getting them prepared and, and, and delivering tests and and, we, and then we can get that, that waiting time back to an acceptable measure because no one's more aware of it than us in terms of, uh, you know, it's unacceptable. And we're getting pressure from the minister, absolutely, and, and why wouldn't we? You know, it's it's not acceptable from their point of view as well. So we, we have to report and let them know what we're doing. We're getting pressure from above, and like I said, quite rightly. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll not repeat everything I said earlier, but we, we, we are working tirelessly to, to, to get that back down to what will be an acceptable measure. You've, uh, you've mentioned the minister. I'm having to bite my tongue massively from a political rant now, so I'm, uh, I'm going to stay clear you of that. You can do that. I, I can't. But yeah. uh... <laughs> there's, uh, Go check the back catalogue. There's been a few. Um, yeah, so the... <sighs> How long does it take to train an examiner from, from I suppose, the point from when they're accepted to when they first start conducting tests? Yeah, it's a really good question. And and, and, it, and it's 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 usually between five to six weeks. It's we've we've trialed different course lengths over over time, over years, and we we now do a couple of weeks, what we call virtually. So, you know, you, you you're kind of online because obviously the examiners get their iPads, so they get issued with them initially. So we can do a lot of online learning, um, which would have normally detracted from the in-car training when you were at the actual training centres having your, your courses, you know, there'll be lots of presentations and whatnot. So we do a lot of virtual we do like two weeks virtual now then the examiners would go on their residential course which used to only exclusively be down in bedfordshire at cardington where the main training site was that's no longer with us we've got much more accessible locations now so it should appeal to more people to apply to be examiners who maybe couldn't have in the past because they wouldn't have wanted to travel and be away from home for six weeks in bedfordshire even though some of the training does still involve being away from home. It's much closer now because we've got a number of training centres around the country, Scotland, you know, the north of England, the northwest, and right around down to the southeast as well. So we, we, we've got a lot more options for people to come and train, but typically the courses are between four to six weeks. And just a quick note for anyone listening, um, again, go check out Dipod, uh, the, the episode that Graham was on, because I found the, the discussion around the Cardington Centre, I found that fascinating. Uh, we're all geeks here. Um, are you still hiring examiners? Are you still taking on, or is there a pause on that? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, Terry. I think that, you know, it, it, it's going to be ongoing. If, if, if the campaign has closed, it's probably only a matter of time before it opens. So I can't really be fully quoted on that. But we the the, the 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 recent campaign has got a lot of people you know waiting in the wings to come onto courses who have you initially have to you know you have an interview then you, you go and do a drive if you're successful on the drive and interview you then get offered a place on a training course so we've got a lot of people waiting at that stage now to go on to the next wave of training courses so in terms of whether the recruitment's open i'm not sure but you could jump online and find out quite quickly and if it's not you know in the in this current day and age it's only a matter of time before it opens again so if there is anybody who's interested in that um just keep your eye out because uh, recruitment is obviously uh, an ongoing thing it ever since I've, I've i've been around this 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 kind of world for about 25 years now and it's uh, that there's never there's never long between recruitment campaigns due to you know um, people leaving and whatnot there's always going to be that um 
kind of uh, turnover of staff. You're obviously someone that's that's gone from an ADI to uh, examiner and then continued to, I'm going to use the word progress, to the position you're in now. Um, so it's obviously been a success for you. And I know everyone's different, but would you recommend it to drive any instructors? Um, I absolutely would. I absolutely would. I mean, I, I've been very lucky. I mean, I was... Uh, you know, I, I became an ADI. I've always had a real interest in driving. You know, I, I was, I was the annoying kid who would would ask my mum and dad, "Why, why are you doing that? What are you doing that for?" You know, I, I always had that kind of interest in that kind of, you know, just being in a car and how to drive a car well, and you know, so I've I've always kind of had that. Uh, so when I become an ADI, I, I mean, I loved it. But listen, you know as well as I do, it's a tough, tough job. You know, it's you're working for yourself. So that 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 incorporates that level of pressure and you know everything that comes along with working as being self-employed um so to me and you know and i i always kind of looked at the examiner's job and thought well would i be able to do that you know and after about five years of being an adi and it wasn't the fact that i didn't enjoy it and i and i really did i just thought you know that the things that came along with the 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 examiner's job you know it was it was a bit more maybe um secure you get in the pension you know you you the the the, the hours appeal to me I, I, I love i love a game of golf so <laughs> I, I didn't get to play much when i was an adi but when i was a, an examiner you know you could finish it at half three whatever and you know you still had time to get a game of golf in so but but joking aside you know that the job itself it, it it's great you know you know that enjoyment of sharing that which we mentioned is one of the most nerve-wracking days of your life but also can be one of the most joyful as an adi you get to enjoy it more so but as an examiner you get a little snapshot of that as well you know at the end of the test when you turn to somebody and say that's the end of the test i'm pleased to tell you you've passed whilst of course you've still got to be professional you can't help but enjoy that outpouring of emotion that comes from that person at the side of you which you know brings brings obviously an internal smile there and, and you think yeah good on you um, but of course there's the flip side to that and, and, and you're, you're quite often delivering other news but you know you're looking at that in terms of you, you're potentially saving that person going on the road when they might not necessarily be prepared so yes i would encourage it it's a bit of a long-winded answer but uh, i i thoroughly enjoyed it and, and and look at me you know i i started as an adi then an examiner and i've had the opportunities to progress with different different areas and that and that's that's available to examiners as well so there is that career progression opportunity so yeah i, I, I would definitely recommend it is there a two-year contract i'm sure i got told this that when you first pass or become an examiner is it like a two-year contract yeah i mean I, I i don't really want to go too much into that because it's not an area of going back to your very first question expert i'm not an <laughs> expert on, on the and the kind of hr side of things but you're right. At the moment, I believe there is a kind of two-year kind of contract. So I, I wouldn't really want to speculate too much on that other than to, and this is only my opinion, it's not DVSAs. I'd like to think, you know, after that two years, there would be some opportunities to stay. And who knows if those contracts are already changing in the background. I don't know. But yeah, I do believe that uh, that is in place at the moment. Due to obviously, you know, protecting the agency, I guess, in terms of wanting to really overcome the backlog. But like I mentioned, there's always going to be that attrition in terms of people leaving. So as people leave, rather than employing more people, the people potentially on the two-year contract could 
you know, I'm sure those things will will, will grow arms and legs. But uh, yeah, I, I can't speculate too much on that. Last question on the examiners, and before we kind of wrap up, um, and you, I'm interested to see if you can answer this one. If you were to pick a ten random examiners and get them to watch the same driving test, how closely aligned would their marking sheets be? So it's a good question. And watching a driving test would be very difficult. I know at the point you're making. Let's imagine they they were they were in the car because you need to be in the car to see all the circumstances at the time. A video wouldn't give you that benefit because that's the difference with assessment to fault marking. Fault marking is easy. Assessing is, is, is slightly more complex because you need to weigh up all the circumstances at the time. But I would like to think they would all get the right result in terms of whether it was a pass or a fail. Would there be some minor differences in the markings? Potentially. And that's why, you know, we, we, we kind of there will be some tolerance in terms of what the differences need to be. So that's why we obviously capture that data, that management information to, to ensure that there isn't huge differences between examining staff. But I would be more than confident that they would get the right result on all 10 would get the right result and that's what plays that big part in that four to six weeks training with the examiners that's what they're doing every day and this was one of my old jobs and i still do it go out training examiners and as i'm sure most people are aware it's all role play like it was on your part three you know i'm driving the car uh, like a learner uh, committing faults uh, and now a new examiners are, are, are are assessing those tests, you know, they're controlling the tests uh, and identifying the faults. So, of course, they wouldn't get through that training if their level of assessment didn't reach the standard and consistency that the agency and the chief driving examiner and ourselves set the standard to. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. I'd be more than confident that all 10 would get the right result. There may be some minor differences, um, but uh, that the results would be the same. Cool. And then just to put you on the spot again, I think a little while ago the, the DVSA stated that uh, they were aiming for a 12-week waiting list on average by Christmas. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's now put back to February. I'm going to put you on the spot slightly. Will will that be the case? Will we be at 12 weeks as an average waiting list by February, do you think? And if not, when? So, so, so we're actually we're hoping for it to be less than that, Terry. We're hoping for it to be nine weeks, single figures. Um, so, we're working hard. We, we've we've got you know the, the the clever data scientists and whatnot create a model, um, which is which is showing where we are, where what the prediction, what the forecast is going to be, and and within that model, imagine it's a I don't know you're baking a cake and all the ingredients. So some of the ingredients will be staff coming in overtime people leaving pass rates all those things it's a multifactored equation which ultimately affect the end result and the end result is the waiting time so if all those things happen yes we should be at that target by then but of course there's variables right some of those things who knows what could happen so you know it's above my pay grade to say yes we're <laughs> going to be there but i well, what i can do is because i sit in on those meetings with the model and whatnot and all of the 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 factors that go into actually achieving our objective. The objective is there. And yes, we should reach that by February stroke March, but it wasn't 12 weeks, it's nine weeks. Um, so yeah, 
we, we, we probably, if everything comes to plan on those things that I've just mentioned there, um, then then yeah, we should we, we uh, there should be no reason why we shouldn't uh, reach that. But uh, of course, there's a bit of time between now and then. But we, if, if if the plan comes together, then it should be a yes. I suppose it's better to have an ambitious goal than the than not an ambitious goal. Um, so if I could give you a magic wand and you can change one thing in our industry. You can change one thing. What would it be in your industry? You mean in, yeah. in the in in oh gosh in the whole remit driver training, rider training, the DVSA, whatever you want to put it as. You can change one thing. What would it be? Um, I guess if you're looking at in terms of driving, as a if if you take if you take into account like just driving, I've mentioned this before, and it, it, it's kind of a thing that I occasionally think of. You know, I don't think there's many things in life when you reach a certain age that brings an expectation to embark on such a difficult task 17 for most people is an expectation to learn how to drive a tin box with four wheels that can <laughs> get get you from a to b now when you think about that in the grand scheme of things it's quite bonkers you know there's not many other things in life that that that, that carry that kind of expectation i'm getting to the point so that's complex. That that's quite complex. But the thing with driving, I often find that people don't necessarily have a clear picture of their own ability. I tend to think, and this isn't evidence based. It's only based on my evidence of conducting over ten thousand driving tests, sitting at the side of over three hundred experienced drivers, training many hundred examiners. Generally, people's own perception of their own driving is slightly better than it actually is so the magic wand would be to remove the distorted view of your own driving ability and give you a clear view of it and what in turn that would give would allow you to think actually i could be a bit better the only reason i say that is because I, I i i fell foul of that as well i thought i was a good driver i applied to be a driving instructor i, I trained for the part two and thought oh I can learn something here. And I did. I learned a lot. I thought then I was a good driver. I then applied to be a driving examiner. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I can learn more. I then did lots of advanced driver training. And now, you know, you see the picture I'm painting. So there's always more to learn. So the problem is, coming back, and I, I know it's a long-winded answer. I'm just about to finish. But if you ask somebody, I don't know, ask them a, just a random question, and they'll generally give you an honest opinion of their own ability of something. Whereas if you ask somebody who's a good driver, very few people will say anything other than, yeah, I'm a good driver. But the reality is actually different. So if people had that clear understanding of their own driving ability, they would have more appreciation for the fact that they could be better. Yeah. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but hopefully it makes a little bit of sense. And uh, <laughs> there you go. I think it's a good one, but we get, uh, yeah, I'm a good driver, but I wouldn't pass my test if I took it again. I think that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, we do get that, don't we? Yeah, we get that. Right. So last question uh, to finish on, the most high-pressure question, the most important question you'll be asked today. Obviously, you do a lot of trips on the motorway. You mentioned that at the beginning. What is the ultimate driving song? What <laughs> song would you put on? Wow. Yeah. So I, it's, my playlist is, is, is very random. It, it can go from Dolly Parton to, to Metallica in, uh, in, uh, from one to the other. Um, wow. Best driving song. 
I don't know. I think uh, Journey's a pretty good uh, kind of uplifting. Uh, uh, you know the one I mean. Uh, that, don't that, stop uh, believing. Don't stop believing. That generally yeah. gets you uh, singing behind the wheel. Um, but that, that's going to be embarrassing actually saying that. But yeah, so so many Terry. Um, I, I'm 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 not a snob when it comes to music. I'm I'm pretty. Uh, pretty diverse in my music taste um, I've started asking everyone that question and there is an instructor podcast playlist on Spotify so that will be added to it and uh, you don't need to be embarrassed because my Spotify most played artist of last year was Lady Gaga she she, she features on my playlist as well so there you go (laughs) uh, two gruff Yorkshiremen spotting uh, Dolly Parton and Lady Gaga. Um, We could could definitely do another podcast purely on playlists um, alone. So, yeah, that that, that wouldn't be a problem. And, of course... Of course, your podcast, uh, Terry, which uh, is going to feature heavily on my uh, new playlist. That that is uh, the perfect way to finish the show. Uh, And I want to take a moment to thank you for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. I know that uh, you could have been conducting a driving test right now, but instead those learners can wait. My podcast takes priority, as we discussed earlier. Everything else is practice leading up to this monumentous moment where you joined me today. Um, is there anything you would like to promote or anywhere you would like to send anyone in particular? I don't think so, Terry, other than what I've mentioned in terms of the mock test and Better Prepared, um, which is all on gov.uk. Uh, and, yeah, just, just to thank you for the invite to come along today, and hopefully uh, we can do it again soon. I will. uh, That's been recorded, so I'll take you up on that. And thank you for your time today. Cheers. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.